You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Hello and welcome, Colts fans, to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me is Matt Adams. And today, we'll just dive right into it. We'll start with the news of the day, which is tight end Eric Ebron has been placed on IR. His season is now over. He needs procedures on both of his ankles, and that's according to NFL.com's Ian Rappaport. Uh, he had 31 catches on the season for 375 yards and three touchdowns while battling through injuries. And he was listed on the practice report coming into the game with an ankle injury. Um, I don't think anyone on the outside of the building really had any idea that it was this serious. Um, you know, is this the last we've seen of Eric Ebron in a Colts uniform? His contract is up after this season. Say, this is the last year of his contract with the team. They kind of uh, signed him to a two-year prove-it deal pretty much, uh, and he had such a fantastic season last year and has not been uh, remotely able to replicate that this season. No, not at all. So I guess you know before we start talking about next season, let's talk about the rest of this season. It's just, you know, an, a, a, another player on a long list of injured players for the Indianapolis Colts. And while Ebron wasn't having the year he had in, you know, 2018, it's still one less weapon that the Colts have in a very, you know, playmaker-starved offense. Um they just need to get healthy, and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen anytime soon. <clears throat> We've been kind of waiting for it this all year of this team getting healthy, whether it's on defense or on offense. You know, they lost Funchess early, and I, I guess he'll be. If they don't activate him for the Titans game, then his season's done. Yeah. Is my understanding with the way the IR designated to return works. So you, you can't really afford to lose Ebron because while the Colts' offense will get into the passing game and the disaster that it's kind of turned into lately, um, he was the one he was the one guy in there that even when T. Y. Hilton was out, the defensive had to had to account for. Without him in there, you know, as much as we love Jack Doyle, Jack Doyle's a you know ten yard catch guy. You know, he's going to get to the sticks and get a catch. And of course, they haven't even really gotten the ball to Doyle lately. But you don't have to account for him like you have to account for Ebron and his athleticism. So uh, with him out there, I mean, it's just it's easy pickings out there for a defensive secondary. Really is really not much to take the top off the defense. Um, Colts did sign tight end Ross Travis back to the team. He was cut when, you know, back in August, Colts had to make their cuts to get the roster down to 53 men. He is back with the team and um, very happy to be back. Colts are happy to have him. Just wish it was under better circumstances. Um, I guess on to the game, it was last Thursday. It kind of feels like for. Forever ago. Yeah, it feels but, like it was uh, three weeks ago now, yeah. <laughs> now that it's Monday. But um, we'll still go over it here. The Colts lost 20-17. to 17. Uh, They've dropped three of their last four now. And Matt, if I told you that the Colts in this game would rush for 175 yards, convert 9-15 of 15 third down, go 2-3 for three in the red zone, be penalized just three times for 29 yards, not commit a turnover, get a key interception on Deshaun Watson, and hold Houston to 20 points, who would you guess wins that game? Well, you would look at those, and you would see that you've checked off all the all the keys to the game that you would want to go in the Colts' favor, and you'd say, oh, I'd say the Colts probably win that game maybe, I don't know, 20, 28-17, 24-13, something like that. And uh, But that's not what happened on no, Thursday night. No. I don't even want to wear my run-the-damn-ball hat anymore because – 
They they ran the damn ball. They did, and they still lost. They, and this was a crushing defeat. I mean, we'll we'll see how they respond. But this is the eleventh game of the year. Uh, because of some of the games they lost earlier in the season, we'll get into that a little bit later. But their uh, AFC playoff picture, they lost some key tiebreakers. So the the winning the AFC South was their best path to getting into the postseason. And now that is seriously in jeopardy because the the Texans are just in the driver's seat now. Absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned they the Colts have lost three of the last four. And you talk about, you know, does a team go out there and win it or does one team actually lose the game? The Colts straight up lost these three games. It's not like the opponent just outplayed them. The Colts lost in these three games. Really, Miami being the crusher. Oh. That was the one that the Colts really couldn't afford to lose, and they did. The Colts lost to the Houston Texans Thursday because their passing game was non-existent. Jacoby Brissett went 16 of 25 for 129 yards, no passing touchdowns, no interceptions. He did have 20 yards on the ground and a touchdown, but the Colts haven't had a 200-yard passer since week eight. When Brissett put up 202 against the Broncos. And when you're talking about as a team, their net passing yards, they've been under 208 of 11 games this season. That is not going to cut it. That's not going to get it done. And it's not like they're running for... You might be able to get away with that if you're running for 260 yards a game. Like, you know, when they they just blasted Jacksonville the week before. You might be able to get away with that. And and even though they had a they had a good rushing performance this week again, you know, near 175 yards, that's nothing to sneeze at. You've still got to have more from your passing game. You've got to be able to exploit the fact that the other team thinks you're going to run the ball and be able to hit some of those big plays. Because what what's seriously lacking in this offense, and really it's it's lacked this from week one, and we've just kind of been sort of sitting on it, saying it'll come, wait for it. Well, they'll hit these big plays. It has it has never really happened with this um you know they did not have i don't think did they even have a uh, play over 20 yards no in this one against the texans no plays of over 20 yards the longest passing play was eric ebron he had a pair of 14 yard receptions that was the most they could get through done through the air i believe uh naheem hines had 18 yard rush on the ground right. but uh, you're right. Big plays are really what lost the game, and that's what Frank Wright had to say Friday morning. He said, we were able to do a lot of those things on both sides of the ball, but obviously we all know that more than anything, what cost us the game was big plays on both sides of the ball. We'll get into the defense for a minute, but you know, we we kind of kept saying the Colts have no weapons in the passing game. Wait till T.Y. gets back. Wait till T.Y. gets back. He came back and you almost wish he didn't because he was completely ineffective. He caught three of six targets for 18 yards, dropped a couple of huge third downs. Those third down passes were both killers. Yeah, and the the, the first one, it it kind of looked like it might have been tipped right before it got yeah, to him. Yeah, I, I think came. it did, but it's, it's a catch that I know that he is capable of making. It still hit his hands. Yes. T.Y. Hilton usually comes up with that catch. And then the real killer was the third down, deep pass down the right sideline. Uh, T.Y. Hilton had it in his hands. You know, Jonathan Joseph kind of got his hand in there, but that's a catch you got to make. He had both hands on it. You got to be able to secure that. Um, T.Y. heading into the game said, quote, I don't need practice. He obviously does because he looked extremely rusty after about a month off, which you would expect out of a, you know, out of a player right, right. being rusty. But 
for him to come in and play as that's the worst I've ever seen T.Y. Hilton play in any game. Yeah, and, and I mean, again, I, I do think he was still diminished. Uh, not an excuse, but a reason. I think he's dis- diminished. I don't think he's a hundred percent yet. Um, cause I, I just don't think that burst that we're used to seeing from him is there. Now, that being said, he still had a couple opportunities to make plays balls right in his hands and couldn't make them. And we're just not used to seeing that from, from Hilton because, you know, everybody, every receiver is going to uh, drop a pass and, and not complete a play here and there. But when you need a play, he is usually that guy that you can rely on for the Colts. And unfortunately that third down one, the, the deep ball that you just talked about was huge for that team uh, to not be able to pick up that first down. That That's exactly what they needed. After the game, he said, I let the team down totally on me. I just played bad. It's on me. Um, he was on a pitch count this game. He didn't play the whole game. Um, Frank Wright said uh, pretty much team doctors is what he's talking about here. Pretty much told me 20 to 30 snaps would be the recommended snap count. He was feeling a bit tight from what I understand, so we had to be smart about it. Hilton ended up playing 25 offensive snaps, so I get it. You know, you think back to the Kansas City game and how he was kind of used as a decoy, Mm -hmm. and even though he didn't do a whole lot, his presence alone was enough to kind of help the offense. And I think that's what the Colts were hoping for in this game. But um, they needed more than a decoy in this game. They needed a go-to wide receiver in – you know, I get it. If if the guy's not healthy, it's really tough for him to make plays. But it was just really disappointing performance out of Hilton in the passing game in general in a game the Colts really needed to have. Well, and as you note here in the show notes, even though, uh, and this just goes to show just how desperate the Colts are in their receiving core right now, despite the, the poor game that T.Y. had, he still was the top Colts wide receiver in catches and yards out there because yeah. they've got nobody else right now. Three catches for 18 yards led all Colts wide receivers. The only other Colts wide receiver to even have a catch in the game was Chester Rogers, who caught one ball for 12 yards. Meanwhile, Deion Kane in Pittsburgh just signed off the Colts practice squad November 16th. He had two catches for 35 yards in his first game with the Steelers. A guy the Colts couldn't get anything out of all year, mm-hmm. signed by another team. Pittsburgh of all teams who can't pass the ball either. Right. No, yeah, they've got they've got problems at under center as well. Mason Rudolph was benched for the Duck Hodges in that game. Um quack quack for all my Hodges <laughs> fans. But anyway, it, it, it's just got to be gut-wrenching as a Colts fan to to be so desperate at wide receiver all year, a guy who's, you know, was hyped up all throughout training camp, a very talented young wide receiver. The Colts can't find a way to get him involved even on the team, he goes to another team immediately outproduces any of the Colts wide receivers. It's it's uh it would be funny if it didn't hurt so bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe a few games down the road the Colts will be in better position, we'll all laugh about this. Yeah, but. but but for for now, you know, we live in the hot take instant reaction society, especially when you talk sports, and that's just not a good look for you. You know, because uh they had and it's not I mean Deion Kane was, for the Colts, effectively a rookie um, because he missed all last year with an ACL injury. Uh, that's a hard injury, you know, for these guys always to come back from. And I, I guess I thought that he would have a little bit more patience with somebody like that because he's still got all-world speed out there. And they don't really have, you know, with, with Paris Campbell being out right now, 
with Chester Rogers and Zach Pascal out there, you don't have anybody that has that kind of over-the-top speed. And they just put him on the practice squad, which means any NFL team can pluck him, and you know Pittsburgh did to their credit. And we'll see, like you said, we'll see long term. A few weeks, maybe you know, maybe we're laughing about this, but then you don't know. The other side of the coin could be this guy turns into a productive NFL receiver. I mean, usually you go, oh, two for thirty-five, whatever. Who cares? But when that's better than you know your right. entire receiving. When you see what you court. got for this week <laughs> from a production standpoint. You're just like, man, I wish we could have a guy in the wide receiving core who could catch two passes for more than 30 yards because the Colts don't have that right now. Absolutely not. Um, let's switch gears to the running game here because at least <laughs> we, we can talk works. about something positive here yes. with the run game. John, the Colts look like they have a rock solid number two running back in Jonathan Williams. Uh, in their extremely run-heavy attack, Williams played 67% of the offensive snaps. That's more than Marlon Mack plays most weeks. Um, he carried the ball 26 times for 106 yards, back-to-back rushing performances for Williams. He did score a touchdown on a very nice run where he broke a couple of mm-hmm. tackles. He added three catches for 17 yards in the air. So that was very encouraging to see. Naheem Hines played very well. Um, in addition to Williams, he played 33% of the snaps, nine carries for 51 yards, two catches for 10. Um, like I had mentioned earlier, Hines actually had the Colts' longest play on offense with an 18-yard run. What I found extremely odd was the lack of Jordan Wilkins' use in this game. He played just one offensive snap, no touches. Meanwhile, he played 12 snaps on special teams, I don't know what Jordan Wilkins did to get into the doghouse, but he's clearly there. Do you think maybe they thought on the short week with him not being 100% that they thought they'd be a better option to go with Williams in the run game since he's been a little banged up? I would if it wasn't for the 12 special team snaps. Because that, that is kind of a, an outlier. Like, why, yeah. why special teams? snaps? They're not going to let him play offense despite his... I mean, he's extremely efficient. He, low sample size, I get it. But yeah, he's yeah. averaging like six yards a carry. So I just found it very strange that they wouldn't try to get a guy who has broken some big runs this year. Wouldn't try and get him involved a little more. That was very perplexing. Uh, I'm at least glad I didn't pick up Jordan Wilkins in fantasy. <laughs> I wish I had the uh, the uh, Gusbo to have picked up Jonathan Williams and play him, but very very interesting what happened in the backfield, um, especially with a, a team where and and again Jonathan Williams played really well the week before against Jacksonville. We know Naheem Hines. Uh, we usually see him hit a bigger play in the passing game, but he he can occasionally flash the run game. But when you have a team that's uh, challenged with making big plays, and you've got a guy to your point, that can make big plays in Jordan Wilkins <laughs> to not use him is, uh, you know, to when you have a guy like Jordan Wilkins who is capable of making a big play, it, it is kind of confounding yeah. to not have him on there. That, that was odd, and, you know, because Jonathan Williams played so well, it, it doesn't seem like it's as big of a deal, but it's just very interesting, and it'll be interesting to see how they continue to use their running backs Going forward, as Mac, you know, rehabs that broken hand. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, the defense did their job. They held Houston to 20 points, which you can't ask him to do much more than that. Um, Kenny Moore continues to play incredible. He had a great interception where he kind of leaped up, tipped Deshaun Watson's pass, and was able to pick it off. 
He also had eight tackles in this game. I feel like he has eight tackles every single week. Um, They held Houston under 100 rushing yards as a team. But then again, it came down to the big plays. Houston made, you know, that handful of big plays on offense that really make a difference in the game where the Colts didn't. Um, Hopkins had touchdown receptions of 35 and 30 yards. The one looked like it was a complete blown coverage by Malik Hooker, the first one. Um, I, I just don't know what he was doing there. He kept, tries to jump up on a route, I believe, by the tight end, and Watson just sails it over the top, and Hopkins is just standing there waiting for it in the end zone. Yeah, it looked to me like the the initial defender was expecting him to be passed off to the secondary. Hooker didn't <laughs> didn't do yeah. that. It wasn't on the same page um, because, I mean, Let's be honest. Um, of course, Will, Will Fuller's good too um, for the the Texans, and he certainly did his damage as well. But when it comes to the Texans, priority number one is don't let DeAndre Hopkins beat you. He's going to get his plays, and they've been good in the last few meetings with Hopkins. He's going to make plays. He's going to get a lot of catches, but they made sure that they didn't give up the big play for the most part, and they gave up two huge ones to him. Now, to his credit, that second touchdown catch that he made was a jaw dropper. Yeah, I mean, that that's just... Great, great. I mean, that ball's where nobody else can get it, and really the only person who could get to that ball was Hopkins, and he laid out for it. There are a few receivers in the league who would come down with that catch, and he did. I mean, his hands, it doesn't get much better than that. No, no, it's a beautiful um, catch. I, I always enjoy watching DeAndre Hopkins play. Will Fuller, like you mentioned, he burnt the Colts as well. He had a 51-yard reception um, over Kenny Moore. And Kenny, that, was a, that was a big moment in the game right there. Yeah, Kenny was right there with him, and credit to Kenny – because I feel like a lot of other slot cornerbacks on that play, that turns into a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, where Fuller just kind of dusts him. Kenny had enough speed to keep up with him, contest it, and then bring him down. But um, Will Fuller finished with seven catches for 140 yards in his first game back from a hamstring injury. Um, Carlos Hyde had a 33-yard run. Duke Johnson had a 19-yard run. Tight end Darren Fells had a 24-yard reception. These are all plays that were went longer than the Colts' longest play from scrimmage on offense. And you said the the Hines run uh, for 18 yards was the Colts' longest play, and these are all plays that, you know, gosh, you salivate. you just like, if the Colts could have just had one of these types of plays, they'd probably win this game. Exactly. And they just just couldn't muster up anything. Um, The Colts got to Watson just one time. You know, you talk about the lack of big plays. Not a lot of big plays on the defensive side either. No. Um, The interception by Kenny Moore – Beautiful, um, beautiful play by Kenny Moore. Yeah, yeah, great play. But other than that, you know, the Colts played solid defense, but not a lot of game-changing plays to really, you know, help the offense get into scoring position or anything like that. Uh, I mentioned Ben Banigou had the Colts' only sack of the day. It was only a one-yard loss. So right. It's not like yep. that was a big play either. Um, Sean Watson finished with a good stat line, 19 of 30 for 298 yards, pair touchdowns. He did have the one interception. Uh, they held him pretty tight on the ground, three carries for 10 yards. Um, Darius Leonard kind of shadowed him mm-hmm. yes, for that at game. Times. Yep. It made him stay in the pocket. But really looking back on this game, you look at this Colts team, and part of it, we had talked all season of the Colts don't have any weapons. They don't have any weapons. They don't have anyone to push the ball down the field. Um, Brissett, you know, 
basically missed two games with the injury. The game, injury yeah, he went happened. out real early in that in that Pittsburgh game. Yeah, so, so you know we've kind of we've come up with a lot of excuses for the Colts' lot lack of firepower in the passing game. I think it's at the point where it's time to produce. And Jacoby Brissett is very safe with the ball. He doesn't take a lot of chances, but at a certain point, the risk versus reward ratio. You got to take a little more chances to try and get that big reward. You can't consistently just dink the ball down, throw it away, take the four-yard, you know, quarterback scramble run. Jacoby Brissett has got to be more aggressive. Like uh, we were talking before the game, he had Jack Doyle wide open down the seam, looked at him, and elected to do a little. Would you say like eight-yard? Yeah, scramble? it was like a scramble. Yeah, and then they they didn't pick up. They ended up not picking up the first down on the on the next play. Uh, and and there were a few of those situations this week. Now, you know, part of me wonders. Uh, I don't want to get into two separate conversations, but part of it's a decision-making uh, conversation. Part of it's a, a health uh, concern. You know, if they had played this game, they they didn't. They obviously played this on a Thursday night. If they'd played this game on a Sunday, do we have a better performance from Brissett? Because he is coming off that injury. He's got that big bulky brace on his knee that he hurt. He's turning around and having to play just a few days after he had return from an injury. So we'll try to be a little bit fair on on that end of it. On the other side of it, there were some window opportunities. There were some opportunities with some passing windows where he could have hit guys. Uh, they have some good breakdowns in the Athletic, and the Indy Star had some good breakdowns too of just kind of stopping and looking at what Jacoby Brissett saw in a, in a couple of times. He did have Chester Rogers a couple of times open. One time down the seam, really could have hit a big play, decided to tuck it. Um, another time, uh, the one you mentioned against with Doyle, I looked at him and it was a play action pass. They sucked the linebackers up. Doyle is wide open in the seam. He looks at him, decides he's going to run the ball instead. Um, on the Chester Rogers play, I actually need to correct myself if I'm thinking about this right. Uh, Chester Rogers is open down the seam and instead of trying to get the ball in there, um, Brissett checked down to Eric Ebron on a play and uh, he came up about two yards short of the third of the first down marker, and they had to punt. Um, so just sort of that, he's gotten some criticism of of holding the ball, and then some people will defend that and say, well, he's just protecting the ball, and that's good. But sometimes you've just got to pull the trigger on some of these throws. And I mean, I don't want him to throw three interceptions a game. I don't want him to go out there and be Hoyer. But one thing I did like about Hoyer. In the Pittsburgh game, at least, he wasn't afraid to rip it a couple of times. Uh, now, it also hurts you sometimes when you do that and you miss and you misread the coverage, which Hoyer did, and we don't want to encourage that type of behavior either. So I know it's f- kind of 50-50 on these things, but sometimes you've just got to rear back and rip it in there and trust that you're going to find your receiver. Trust your guy to make a play. Trust this fe- yourself that you can get that ball in there. And Brissett is not doing that right now. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the point of the passing game. If you wanted five yards every play, you would just continue to run the ball. Um, that, that That's why, you know, you throw it down the field. That's why you have playmakers like T.Y. Hilton. I get what you're saying with the Thursday game. I think that would have more of an effect on Hilton than Brissett. Because like you said, he looked fine running out there. He He would on multiple occasions instead of taking a chance down the field he would run the ball so if the knee was really bothering him it's not showing it you would think he would just throw the ball out of bounds exactly you know what i mean or go for it and rip it down the field rather than try to run it himself so very curious you know 
the first, you know, quarterback one on one in the NFL is you can't turn the ball over. Brissett's got that yeah. down. A lot of big check mark on that one. He for needs Jacoby. to promote to the next class two oh one where you start making some big plays down the field. And that just has not been there all season. All season. And we, we kind of kept waiting for it to happen. Uh, we've talked about that on the podcast. You know, it's going to happen. And uh, we're 11 games in now. Uh, the playoff hopes are starting to hang a little bit by uh, by a thread. Still not making the big plays. And this was the perfect game to do it. I mean, Houston had been susceptible to the pass all season. And then they were missing, I think, three starters in their yeah. secondary. Depleted secondary this week. So I, I get the Colts want to establish the run and run the ball. But the weakness in Houston was their secondary in this game. And I don't know if the Colts just didn't feel like they could capitalize it. I don't know if Brissett is just too content with checking it down and not turning the ball over. But, you know, Frank Wright's got to get in his ear and say, hey, we need some more big plays out of you in the passing game because this is not getting it done. When you play the better teams in the NFL, under 200 passing yards is not going to get it done. And it, it seems like their mentality or their philosophy is, as a defense, you know, just keep the other team down out of the end zone. We can give up some some yards, but you know, play play well in the red zone. Offensively, we're not going to be real dynamic. We're going to run the ball, and we're going to keep the the score close, and we're going to try to rely on a play in the fourth quarter to try to you know go ahead and kind of take control of the game. That did not happen this week, and they had opportunities. The, the weird thing, and, and if you look at their drive charts, their first three possessions were punts. They scored on their next three possessions, a touchdown, field goal, and a touchdown, and then their last three possessions, punt, punt, and then turnover on downs. Um, not that I think they were going to run downfield and score a touchdown late, but it also bothered me a little bit their clock management at the end of the game. Um when they went for it on third, when they didn't get the third and seven play, I let me try to. You're obviously going to go for it on third and seven, and you're obviously if you're not going to get that, you're going to go for it on fourth and seven. It really bugged me that they burned a timeout in between those downs and did not have their next play ready to go in their pocket when they didn't pick up the third down play. Yeah, that was kind of odd as well, um, because that timeout that was that very was costly. At, at that point. That timeout is gold to you because. It's unlikely that you're going to get the ball back with very much time, but if you've got at least that that extra time out in there, it gives you a little bit of a wiggle room on that. You might be able to do something. It's going to take a miracle, probably a, a you know an unlikely play, sort of like happened with Denver, but it's it's possible it could happen. When you don't have that timeout, then obviously the Texans were just able to run the clock out. A miracle or unlikely play? You mean like maybe? Darius Leonard punching the ball out as the Texans trying to run it out. What was that? The the officials, first of all, it didn't seem like they reviewed it. And then after the game, I heard that they did review it, but they couldn't find clear evidence that the Colts came up with it. On the field, they ruled him down right away. I mean, they, they didn't even act like it was a fumble. They didn't even – Colts looked like they recovered that ball. And the refs just, nope, no fumble. You look at the replay, clearly a fumble. It – the officiating in the NFL has been terrible all season, and that continued on Thursday. Well, and yeah, that's that was so weird. I, I mean, I guess I, they said during the broadcast that they took a look at it in New York, which you know they review all the plays and stuff. But they they needed to stop that game and take a look at it because they showed the replay a couple of times during the broadcast, but they never let it 
proceed past the point of they pretty much let the replay go to the point where oh was that a fumble yes but they never let it kind of linger to see was there a clear recovery because I guess that was probably my thing with it was he definitely fumbled the ball Darius Leonard punched it out Deshaun Watson fumbled the ball I I never really got a good look to see was there a clear recovery well what they needed to do was let whatever team recover the football on the field. I mean, the t- the ball's loose. Teams are fighting for it. Colts say they have it. As a referee, you got to see who comes up with it. Then you can look at the replay and see if it was actually a fumble or not. And if it was, you give it to the team who came up with the ball. Yeah. It, it, it's not rocket science, but the NFL officials sure make it look like it. Yeah, and, it, and also, you know... Texans, what what in the world were you thinking on that play call anyway? To run your quarterback? Run your quarterback on the edge like that? That's going to make him susceptible to doing exactly what the Colts were trying to do and, and really probably successfully did. It's just I, I don't know on the recovery. I never got a good angle on on that part of it. But, like, you shouldn't even risk that. No. Because that's, that's literally your, the, old, the Colts' only chance to get back in this ballgame and win or tie it up is to get the ball back through a turnover. So why are you even doing that? I, I That was, that was yeah. silly. Or for what if Watson, you know, got injured on that play, and then all of a sudden the Texans season is over? It made no sense whatsoever. Um, ugh, there was just many things in this game that Colts have to be, Colts fans have to be pulling their hair out. Let's uh, turn, you know, turn our attention to the playoff picture here because it's starting to look a bit... A bit sketchy for the Indianapolis Colts at the top. Obviously, you got the teams leading their divisions: Patriots at ten and one, Ravens eight and two, Texans seven and four, Chiefs seven and four. Then in the wild card slots, currently are the Bills at eight and three. That's going to be hard for the Colts to you know yeah. catch up on. Although I do think Buffalo plays New England one more time. Um, then you got the Steelers at six and five. Well. Which is tough because the Steelers beat the Colts. Right, so they have the head-to-head tiebreaker. They got the tiebreaker in there. Uh, the Raiders are 6-5. and five. Thank you, New York Jets, for mm-hmm. whooping them on Sunday. Yeah, boy, that, that was surprising. I'll yeah. just say that to say the least. Because the Raiders have been playing. We, we you know, we dug, we, we kind of tried to undercut them earlier this season. And they've had a pretty uh, pretty decent year. But then they went they got pummeled by the Jets. So I who just knows? can't figure out the Jets. One week they look like they shouldn't even be... An NFL team, yeah, exactly. and then the next they're exactly. beating the Raiders. They whoop the Cowboys. The Jets are tough to figure out, but this is not a Jets podcast. Um, and then you got the Colts at six and five, the Tennessee Titans right there at yeah. six and five as well. All of a sudden, they have life again. Ryan Tannehill is really helped that team out. And don't look now, but the Cleveland Browns at five and six, they're not <laughs> out of it either. Baker Mayfield. Uh, I kind of hope the Browns. If the Colts can't make the playoffs, kind of hope the Browns do. But that that's that would just be me. that would be pretty interesting if they were able to do that. Uh, and and the really the, the problem is those games that the Colts like they they should they had no business losing that Raiders game. They should have played better. They had no business losing that Steelers game. And the, the key is both those teams are six and five. The Colts are six and five, and both those teams have the head to head tiebreaker over them in in the wild card playoff chase. Um, and that, that also means this week's game against the Titans is a huge one because if they lose to the Titans, then they're going to lose another game in the playoff hunt, and then the Titans will also, uh, well, I guess they won't necessarily have a head-to-head tiebreaker over them, but um, it's just imperative that the Colts win this week. really is. I mean, let's, uh, let's kind of look at these teams and what they got down the stretch here. The Raiders, 
It doesn't get any easier for them. They got the Chiefs coming up. Uh, then they get the Titans. That'll be an interesting mm-hmm. one. Uh, the Jaguars, who look awful. <laughs> um, then they play the Chargers, who also look awful, and the Broncos. So um, that's kind of a neutral schedule. I think the Raiders can win several of those games. Looking at the Steelers, who, let's see, they got the Browns. So we'll see. You know, that that's a big game for playoff oh, implications. Oh, the, the, helmet, the helmet game rematch. The helmet right? rematch. Yeah, I kind of... I you know, hope Mason Rudolph plays in that game. Um, <laughs> then they got the Cardinals, which Cardinals are an interesting yeah, team too. They're kind of hit or Murray, miss. Yeah, yeah, Kyler's playing very well for a rookie. Um, then they play the Bills. That'll That's have a, a lot one. of yeah. Yep. That'll have a lot of uh, wild card implications. Then the Steelers play the Jets, and they finish the season with the Ravens, which sounds like a tough game, but. If the Ravens have everything locked up by then, they may not have to. You know, if they can't improve their playoff position uh, at that point, then it might be one of those games where they don't play their frontline guys, and maybe it's a playing game for the Steelers, and you know, it could be one of those situations. Exactly, we've seen those before. So we'll have to see what New England does. Although they are a game behind New England, so if neither team loses between now and then, you got to think the Ravens will still play that game and hope. Uh, that the Patriots lose. Looking at the Bills, they got the Cowboys, they got the Ravens, Steelers, Patriots. So they actually have a pretty that's, tough that's schedule. That's tough. That's a tough schedule. Um, they might be, you know, brought back to the rest of the pack there a little bit. Titans uh, visit the Colts this week. Then they have the Raiders. Then they have the Texans, Saints, and Texans again. So Titans actually have a very tough schedule down the stretch. Um, all those teams have winning winning records. And they, they could actually help the Colts a little bit if if they, you know, if they since they've got the Texans twice. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, looking at the Browns and their unlikely chances, but I'll take a look uh, anyway. Hey, you never know. I mean, uh, there was a point in this season where the Colts looked like they might be in there for like the third uh, number three seed. Yeah. Those days are long past. Those are we, were, we were younger and more innocent back then. But Although you never know. They're only one game behind the Texans, so they could still win the division. They could still. Um, the Let's see, the Browns got the Steelers, the Bengals, uh, the Cardinals, <laughs> the Ravens, and then the Bengals again. So they actually have a pretty favorite. Yeah, that, that should be pretty helpful for the Browns. Gosh, the, we, we made a lot of fun of uh, the Jets and the Dolphins, <laughs> and uh, but the Bengals are just yeah. awful. Yeah, and then uh, Washington won this week as well. So Bengals seem to securely have the number one overall pick you got to think they'll take LSU's Joe Burrow and get a quarterback of the future, but that's a topic for another podcast. And for another city, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did want to look at the Texans' schedule down the stretch. They play New England this week. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, then they play Denver, who, you know, they got they had a rough game against Buffalo, but they're no pushover. Um, then they play the Titans twice and the Buccaneers. So I could see I could see a couple losses. Yeah, they there. could they could conceivably lose lose a game or two there, uh, especially boy, I tell you if they, if they beat New England though that that would really be uh, make things interesting in the AFC playoff picture. This might be the one time I actually root for the Patriots. <laughs> well, you, you need them to. I mean, if the again it's if the Colts go out and they they can beat the Titans this week and then the Texans lose, then they're both sitting at seven and five of the division again. And while it's still hard, um, I think that the Texans still have a little bit of an edge there, but the Colts can work their way back into it. Absolutely. Um, 
quick look at the Titans. Of course, we'll have much more of a game preview this Wednesday. Um, we'll now be joined by Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Uh, we're doing Wednesday this week because, of course, we all would like to enjoy our yes. families. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. That's right. But uh, Ryan Tannehill uh, on Sunday against the Jaguars went 14 of 18 for 259 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, seven rushes for 40 yards, and another pair of touchdowns on the ground in his five starts for the Titans. He has completed 71% of his passes. He's thrown for over 1,200 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions, and then has another three touchdowns on the ground. And the Titans are 4-1. and one. They beat the Chiefs. They're, they're looking really good. The Tennessee Titans are looking really good. And you have to wonder if Tannehill had was the starter there mm-hmm. Where to would begin they be? the season. Exactly. Maybe they'd be division leaders right now. Derrick Henry is a beast now that they finally freed him. Um, he had 159 yards and two touchdowns on Sunday. And I wanted to throw in this interesting stat about Jacksonville. In the two games that Nick Foles has started since coming back from injury, the Jaguars have been outscored 75 to 33. <laughs> Gosh. That, that is so bad. That is absurd. It may be time to go back to Gardner Minshew, although you can't put all of that on no, Nick Foles, no. but uh, certainly the team is not playing well. So I think that'll just about wrap things up here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We'll have much more for you on Wednesday. We'll we'll pregame their mass. It it almost feels like every game for the rest of the season is a massive game. Oh, it it is. It absolutely is. If they want to stick in the AFC playoff picture, every game's a massive game toward the end of the season here. And you know what? Just for good measure, I've looked up everyone else's schedule. Let's take another quick look at the Colts. The Colts have the Titans, and they visit the Buccaneers, who... You know, they'll get at least three interceptions playing right. Jameis Winston yeah. in that game. Um, but, again, not not a given. Um, then they go play at the Saints. That'll be a very tough yeah, game. Yeah, and that's a Monday nighter, I believe, the Saints I game. I believe you're yeah, right. That's correct. Uh, Monday night, primetime lights. Then they host the Panthers, who are not pushovers mm-hmm. either. They nope. played the Saints pretty darn tough. Um, and then they finish up with the Jaguars in Jacksonville. So, you know, not a cupcake of the schedule for the Colts here. They really did not take advantage of their easy portion of the schedule mid-year uh, when they had that stretch of the Raiders who, you know, you can kind of argue if the Raiders are mm, easy or right, not. Right. They had the Raiders. They had the Broncos, Steelers, and Dolphins. And they went 1-3 and three during that span. Yeah, that, 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 that Steelers and Dolphins two-game stretch – is probably if the Colts fail to make the playoffs or you know whatever, that's the stretch that everybody's going to look at and point to because that Pittsburgh game, they you know they missed a late field goal on that one uh, that cost them the game there, and then there there was just absolutely no excuse for losing to that Miami Dolphins team. Yeah, field Not, goals were a problem in that game. Hoyer and the turnovers, but it. it it's been rough. It's been a lot of up and downs for the Indianapolis Colts this season, especially when you think back to how you know the season began with Luck retiring and everything. But it has been anything but boring. It's been interesting. I, I, I mean, it's been it's been fun to podcast about the team because um, despite I mean, this is kind of a downer because uh, Ebron's injured and he's done for the year, and the Colts lost on Thursday night, and, and the playoff picture is a little bit dire. But Week to week, you just don't know what's going to happen in the NFL. So we might come in next week doing a post game 
um, podcast and we may be in a completely different mood or we'll be sullen and and not be able to talk much. Yeah. yeah six and six Colts lost to the Titans would be a – I'd be pretty sad. You'll, That'd be a gut punch, man. You'll hear Sad Joe next week if that happens. <laughs> um, I guess my last little tidbit for the day is if you uh, need a tight end in fantasy, add Jack Doyle because uh, Eric Ebron is no longer there. Um, for those two tight ends to kind of steal targets from each other. That'll uh, wrap things up here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Again, I am Joe Hopkins. You can find me on Twitter at Roto Street Joe. With me is Matt Adams. You can find him at Statomaddy. And you can follow the Colts Blue Zone on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Thanks for listening and have a great Monday. 